This is a Voice It podcast. I'm KLG and each episode I'll bring to you different stories from business people across the UK on It's Your Business. Everyone has a story to tell. Why not voice it? Voiceitpr.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of It's Your Business. And with me today, I have Teresa Ribeiro and she's a celebrant. Hello, Teresa. Hi, Ken. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Now, I've got you on the show today because I've seen more people becoming celebrants and I wanted to know how you became a celebrant, why you became a celebrant and what is a celebrant. So let's start right there. What is a celebrant? We're someone who helps you celebrate an important life event. Uh, So usually things like weddings, baby namings, bar renewals, and nowadays it can include things like business launches as well. Quite often people will also use a celebrant for funerals. They won't necessarily use a minister. People still use ministers or um, registrars, but they are using celebrants more often now. So what does a celebrant do? So obviously we do a ceremony, but it's just a little bit different, I guess, than a minute. We won't necessarily include religion, but um, we can if the family want that. Yeah, we have a lot more freedom to do whatever it is that people want to. <laughs> so celebrating life events, so yeah. weddings, funerals, baby naming, Valerie Young, you said, and even sort of celebrating a business if you want someone special to be their name and celebrate the business. So why did you become a celebrant? I'd listened to somebody at a business networking quite a lot of years ago now. And she talked about she was doing her training to become a celebrant. And I was so fascinated. I thought, that's crazy. That's a Someone could do that as a job. I love that idea. I was like, I want to do that too. And uh, I initially thought it was a registrar. So I kind of looked into it a bit more and I realized, okay, it's, it's not a registrar. It has a little bit more freedom to it, uh, which is something I love anyway. And a lot of how it works was something that I could do because I've had so much different kind of job experiences over the years that could give me that experience to be a celebrant. And then a few years after that, when my granny passed away, I spoke at her funeral. I had wrote up a story and I thought, well, if I don't, who is going to do that? Just family-wise, nobody really wanted to go up and talk. So I did. And that same day, I said to my cousin after the funeral, I said, right, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up as a celebrant and it took a few years to get there just random life experiences were happening and now it's a year and a half later and that's what I'm doing. (laughs) So tell us what does it involve to train a celebrant? Usually it's kind of learning the history of it so how did celebrants come about because here in the UK it's quite a new thing I mean new probably last 10 15 years, it's new. So that's still relatively new. So learning all about the history and learning what kind of ceremonies we can do, will we do, learning about the kind of symbolic rituals we could have at those ceremonies, also how you would speak to families and then also how you would write your script. So a big part of it is gathering information from the families for whatever type of ceremony it might be, and then writing a script and then obviously delivering the script on the day. But yeah, a big part of what we do is writing, uh, you know, researching what we want to have in the ceremony and then writing it. So yeah, all our training involves a lot of that. So what jobs have you done to lead you here? Yeah, completely random jobs. 
I mean, I worked at McDonald's. <laughs> it's always good for, you know, customer service. So McDonald's, I guess, is a good starting point. That was many, many years ago now. And things like I've done admin as well as being a trustee for various organizations, usually charities. And then I've also ran a really large toddler group. So I know often when people think of toddler groups, they'll think of, you know, a small kind of run group with a few mums. But one of them, I managed about nine volunteers at the time and I would also kind of run the whole group. So I was making sure that people, if they were on the waiting lists, they were added to the group at some point, making sure I'd say hello to all the families when they'd arrived, doing singing time, you know, singing the wheels on the bus and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so there was a lot of aspects about doing that as a job, there were so many skills within that that could help to be a celebrant because you're listening to usually a mom or a dad who has, you know, they're struggling a bit with their child at home or they're feeling lonely or they just want to talk about, hey, I want to come and talk to some other adults. So a lot of the listening skills, that's great for that, as well as just trying to make sure all aspects of the group are running smoothly. So that's been really helpful. And then I was also an English teacher. I taught Chinese children English online. And I've also ran my own business, a, a different business at different times. Um, so this is like the third one that I've done. <laughs> so as a celebrant, you're self-employed. And then do you have to look for your own work and market yourself to get jobs to sort of preside over, really? Yeah, that's exactly what we do. So you are self-employed. So everything that happens is all your responsibility. Um, I have to find my own clients. Yeah, we usually train with an organization and then you kind of are like under the banner if you like. But yeah, we get some support from them, but it's depends on the organization. Some give a lot more support than others, so it really depends. But during that time, you will be marketing yourself. I use things like Instagram quite often and um, writing blogs is really important because it just shows that you, you know, you know some facts about things. You're able to use that as a way to educate because people don't often know what a celebrant is. Or even just that you know a lot of information about ceremonies or whatever ceremony there might be. So writing blogs is a really useful way to market yourself. Try get magazines. Just talk to people. Go to venues. Doing this podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Doing podcasts. This is why I was interested because I thought, I think I know what a celebrant is and does. But a lot of people might not. More people would use them probably if they did know. Do you Absolutely. find people who are looking for the non-religious ceremony in the main that usually for weddings and funerals? Yeah, you won't just necessarily get one type of person that will go, oh, I definitely was looking for something different and then I found a celebrant. So I've had a couple who, for a wedding, for instance, they couldn't arrange a registrar because COVID, COVID had a lot of them, um, created a lot of ripples, obviously, from the years. And they were like, well, we can't book a registrar. So they were going, what do we do? And somebody else that they knew said, why don't you try this thing called the celebrant? And they had sort of heard of it loosely. They weren't even entirely sure. But they thought, I, I think I've heard of something. Maybe we should just try, try it out. And they rang and went, how does it work? And will it look like a real wedding? <laughs> so yeah there's that unsure kind of thing and that was a fantastic wedding and the bride was really happy with it in the end you know she could have both things she still could go to do her registrar the legal signing bit with the registrar at a different date and she could have her ceremony on the date she wanted at the venue that they book you know so they couldn't really get back out of the venue booking just because it usually costs too much. So they would still have to go to registrar to be legally married so you can't legally marry someone 
No. So in England, because there's different laws in different countries. So in England, celebrants can't do the legal aspect of a wedding. All the other ceremonies, they don't have any legal aspects whatsoever to them. So that doesn't matter. But for weddings, it's very much like the traditional thing of going a registrar or a minister do your wedding. So you just expect that that's going to happen, that your legal stuff is done then. So there's a bit of a barrier for people kind of thinking, oh, but if I don't do the legal aspect, then how does that work? So what you can do is that you can have a separate what they call like a two by two. So the couple go to the registry office with two witnesses and then you can uh, sign the paperwork and they'll do probably a few words with you, like certain vows that they have to use and they have to say for the legal aspect. And that can take up to, you know, 30, 40 minutes. I don't think it's very long. It's probably shorter than that, to be fair. Um, In England, for the most part, some places that pay about 57 pounds, there could be more or less than depending where you are, what county you're in. And then you can just have your celebrant ceremony at any place, time, venue, whatever. There's no restrictions around that at all. Um, often you'll probably be try to be persuaded not to do that because the registrars want those bookings as well. But this is a nice like middle place. So some people don't necessarily want a registrar. They just might not realize. They kind of just think that's what has to be done. And some people don't want a minister because of the religious aspect to it. So a celebrant is that middle place where you go, well, you might have a mixed-based ceremony. And so using a celebrant can do that. A registrar definitely can't do that. A minister almost certainly also cannot do that. Um, Or it could just be that they don't want anything religious whatsoever. They also don't want it to be quite bland and also from a template because everything done with the registrar is from a template. They have to say certain words. So everything a a celebrant will write in your script, it's completely personal to you. I know there are some celebrants that might use a little bit of a a template, maybe in just a running order, if you like. But everything that we write in our scripts are going to be completely personal to that couple. Um, Coming down to, you know, their story, we can include as much or as little of their story as they want as well. So that's where the the difference is. We're like in a middle place. yeah, but it's a good place just for yeah. people to know that it's there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so you would meet with the family, the couple, the whatever, find out as much as you can, and then you would write in conjunction with them back and forth exactly what they want you to say on the day. Yeah, that exactly. Um, the other really cool aspect of it, and people don't realize this because tradition kind of feels like it's something you have to do because certain traditions have been going for so long. But that the, all the ceremonial parts of a, of a wedding are just that there's no legal requirements to do things like vows or the, as in after your legal part that you've done. You don't have to do rings. You don't have to do the kiss. You don't have to, you know, walk down the aisle one at a time or stand on a certain side. All of those things are, are just things you can do if you want to do them. But there's always that feeling that they should be done that way. Uh, So, yeah, it's just kind of figuring out how you'd like that to go. And then learning more of their story, often I can kind of go, actually, this certain aspect of what you would think of as a normal ceremony wouldn't really suit you. So let's try something else. Um, Yeah, so that's the fun part of it is being creative and um, trying to find a nice way of doing things for the ceremony and that obviously that's just weddings but yeah <laughs> yeah so for weddings uh would you use them as an example it's completely personalized 
tailored to that couple and they can celebrate their wedding with you in whatever way they want. I mean, I guess if somebody had just a couple of people on their side of the family and some girls had loads and they think they have to sit in that traditional way, bride's family on one side and groom's on the other, having them all mixed together would be lovely. So they can actually tailor it to exactly what they want. Well, yeah, exactly. It's it's just nice being able to say to people, yeah, you can do whatever you want. And often yeah. that's like, oh, I don't know what that looks like. So then trying to just help them navigate how that might look. So for something like a funeral, is there no legal requirements there? Nope. They aren't. <laughs> so, for instance, when a person dies, you would go separately to a registrar office anyway to register the death. And that's usually completely separate, even to the day of the funeral. You would, it's very mm-hmm. unlikely you would do it on the same day as the funeral. And then, whatever you do at a ceremony for your funeral, yeah, there's literally no legal aspects to that. So, yes, you don't even have to go to a crematorium. There's a lot, there's so much about <laughs> that as well. But yeah, you can do a life ceremony separate to even the day. So sometimes people will do what they call a direct cremation where their loved one will be sent to the crematorium and at a separate date, they might have their ashes and do something somewhere at a venue or a special place of their choosing and then just do a ceremony then. Or yes, sometimes they have like these natural burial grounds, I think it is, and they can go there and have a ceremony doors separately or even just bring them home and have a ceremony at home, and that's fine as well. So there's there's various ways of doing it, but there's no legal requirements for any of that. It's just kind of going, oh, we don't have to even necessarily go to a funeral director, but we often do because we don't know what else we would do. We don't talk about death enough. <laughs> yes. Exactly, and I think that's the only way we can do things, and we just yeah. follow that culture through and through and through because we've always done it. And so just saying, do you know what? This is what I want. But I guess the more that um, celebrants are celebrated, if you will, we can all have more of an understanding and have a little bit more of a choice about what we want to do. When you do the training, do they tell you how much you should be charging roughly? How do you work out all of that kind of side? Of yeah, I'm sure some organisations might have a lot of support in it. Uh, the particular one that I was with, they, yeah, they kind of would maybe have group sessions where people would kind of have a discussion about it. Most of the time, what you would do is whatever kind of area you are in, in England, you kind of gauge how others in your vicinity are pricing themselves. And that's just a good kind of gauge to, you know, not undercut other celebrants because that can happen. In some cases, it can happen quite a bit because maybe there's not confidence in feeling like, oh, I should charge what I'm worth, uh, you know, valuing, valuing yourself. So, yeah, usually I would say make sure you're just seeing what other people are doing, kind of work out how much work you you would be doing for each couple, or each family or whatever it might be, or what ceremony, and then work back from that and see how if you were saying you were working with a family for 20 hours over time with meetings and writing then work out how many hours you would want to be paid for that, as well as you doing your ceremony on the day, et cetera. And then, you know, come up with the price. I've heard somewhere, this is not from celebrant people at all, but usually it's like, if it feels uncomfortable to say a number, then that's probably what you should be charging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. So if anybody listening was wanting to become a celebrant, how would you say you would start off going about that? I would say definitely go and do some research, see what it is we do and how we do it. And then 
even, you know, if most people on social media. So maybe follow a few celebrants on social media that you kind of feel like, oh, I quite like how they look, their style, how they do things. Follow them, send them a message and say, hey, I'm thinking of becoming a celebrant. You know, what kind of things would you tell me to do or say or um so have a chat i i had done that i had followed a few and just had a chat i mean i've become friends with lots of celebrants all over the country actually there's a few training places out there but what's a really good idea is to research those as well beforehand Mm -hmm. because you could i couldn't just say to a person oh you would definitely suit that one or not unless i knew them quite well and go oh actually that place is pretty good and that would suit your kind of style, your vibe. But yeah, if I don't know the person, I wouldn't have a clue what to suggest to them. So the best idea is to just research them, ask them questions, you know, if they're not forthcoming, then maybe don't go with them. (laughs) But usually it's a good idea to like, see how they go about things, see what kind of CPD, so like training and so on they do afterwards to help keep you, you know, you've got to keep learning as you go, especially with this. There's so many things you can learn or figure out as you're on your journey. So yeah, definitely just research, lots and lots of research before you pay all the money that training costs. (laughs) Yeah, isn't something you're glad you've done. Oh yeah, absolutely. So Running a business is tough anyways. And I knew that, that you know, I've, I've run business before, but I knew that when I found this, I was like, I absolutely want to do this. And I, I do love it. I love meeting people. I'm also not the type of person who would probably just stay in a job for many years, as you heard, because I've done so many different ones. <laughs> Mostly that's because I've moved. I've moved a lot of times over my life, different countries and different cities and so on. But there's so much variety. Nothing is ever the same. It's um, I meet new people all the time. I learn all these stories, which is the most fun aspect of it. Just learning people's stories and how their journey brought them to where they are now. I just love that so much. That's my favorite part of it, definitely. Absolutely love it. So if anyone wants to look you up or wants to use you as a celebrant, you said you're on Instagram. On Instagram, it's Ribeiro Ceremonies. So I'll spell that. Uh, It's R-I-B-E-I-R-O Ceremonies. And my website, which is getting a bit of a makeover, but it is there, but it's definitely getting makeover. And that's also RiberaCeremonies.com. And on Facebook, I'm, I never remember the whole thing, but it's, you can find me under Celebrant Tea. But it's also Ribera Ceremonies you can look up. So yeah. same name. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for enlightening us about ceremonies, about being a celebrant. And I'm sure a lot of people like me will have learned quite a lot today about that because it's something, like I said, that, not all know about so thank you so much for that thank you Kath it's been good being here thanks thank you for listening to this episode I'll see you next time voiceitpr.com <laughs>